We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We had another one, another super chat from John A. Wood. Thank you, John. In the in the next five years, what percent chances Notre Dame have of a player being the face of college football? Talking Tim Tebow, Reggie Bush, Vince Young, Marcus Mariota level guy. Well, that's a I mean that's a good one. I don't know that they have that mainly because those guys were all considered that partly because they were great players but also partly because they got the espn push i don't know that espn is ever going to push a notre dame player that way and the way that they do it now just simply because notre dame signed with a competitor i mean that's just that's the reality of it but who could be that guy i mean i think deuce knight has some of that personality yeah we're like I, i said this yesterday sean uh when i was doing the show with sean ryan is you know, I think C.J. Carr is the kind of guy that just – and Kenny Minter, the kind of guys can just go out there and dominate, and then no one talks about them because they're just – they just go out there and do their job. Where Deuce yeah. has kind of got a little bit more of that outgoing personality that maybe will, will make cameras be a little bit more – because, like, I feel like when Kenny and C.J. are getting interviewed, you walk away and be like, boy, that's just a really smart kid, and then you just leave sure. it at that, right? When Deuce, when you talk to Deuce, you're like, that's a really smart kid. And holy crap, he's got tons of personality. You know what I mean? So, like, that's part of it is let's be honest. All those guys had some level of charisma, you know, Mariota a little less than the others, but all those guys had some level of personality that yep. you kind of helped gravitate it as well. Like, does Jeremiah Love have that? You know, Possibly. could he be a, uh, maybe, you know, maybe yep. he's a unique kid. He can maybe be dynamic enough and productive enough to be that kind of guy. Maybe, um, that's really it. I mean, it's it's the quarterbacks and and running backs. I mean, that's maybe the Cam Williams that those guys played. if he's if he's maybe that guy, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. but receivers don't ever really get that kind of love. 
as far as being like face of college football, it's a quarterback running back type of thing. I mean, that's just that's it's even Devonte Smith, as good as he was in 2020, he wasn't the face of college football that year. I mean, he didn't get that same kind Michael of love Crabtree, man. Crabtree yeah. is that guy. Crabtree was that guy. Well, he was he was a great player, but like even Michael, I mean, he wasn't a guy that that was necessarily you would say, I mean, why didn't he win the Heisman, right? Because he didn't play quarterback. So uh, but yeah, he was so good. I still remember that touchdown catch he had to beat Texas. What was that? Oh eight? Yeah. Where he, where he ran, was that? Where the, was it was it like the deep out where he broke the tackle right along the sideline yeah. and scored? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The Him and Justin Blackman are probably two of the most absurd college receivers I've seen in like a two-year yeah. span. It was nuts what those yeah. guys did. He had 41 touchdowns in two years at Texas Tech. It was That's wild, man. It was ridiculous. Wild. And I think but Danny Amendola was on one of those teams, and it was just like Danny Amendola was just like a nobody, yeah, and he ended up being body. a good receiver right. in the NFL. <laughs> right. yeah. But again, 07, 08, you know, you weren't you weren't seeing Michael, you weren't seeing Michael Crabtree, you know, winning the Heisman. I'm actually going to go look and see because I know he, I know one of the I think 07 he was in the top four or five. Yep. Nope. Not even no. Or was it 08? I thought there was a year. Yeah, 08. He was number five. Here's the stupid thing about it, Ryan. In 08, Michael Crabtree was was fifth in Heisman Trophy voting, behind his quarterback Graham Harrell. That year, Michael I'm Crabtree good. had 97 catches for 1165 yards and 19 touchdowns. That's pretty darn good, right? The year before yep. in 07, or he had 134 catches, 1,962 yards, and 22 touchdowns. He didn't even finish in the top 10. That's what I keep telling. It's it, guys, it's a it's a who are you award. It's a you have to have some level of name recognition. The fact that a guy could catch 130 passes for almost 2,000 yards and 22 touchdowns at a power five school and not even finish in the top 10 in voting, but the next year with 40 fewer catches, 800 fewer yards, finishing the top five okay. tells you everything you need name. to know about. Exactly, because yeah. he was a name by then. Exactly, and and that's why the Heisman just you know it, it just it is what it is. But in, there's some I guys wonder, that can maybe be that. Wonder where Justin Blackman finished that one year. There was one year where I'm pretty sure Justin Blackman had a hundred yards plus and a touchdown in every single game. I think that was his second to last year. It was just absurd. So that have been 2010. Uh, he yeah. finished fifth. Fifth, okay. Yeah, that was the year he had 111 catches for 1,782 yards and 20 touchdowns. The next year in 11, he wasn't, he had more catches, but about 260 fewer yards and, and a couple fewer touchdowns and did not finish in the top 10. Didn't he also get suspended for a game or something like that in 2011? I can't I remember, remember correctly. That. I just remember that kid like was that. uncoverable, man. They yeah. do nothing with Justin Blackman. Yeah, he was very good. Very good. They and that was back when Oklahoma State was just producing like big time producers at running back and 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 wide receiver like every year it seemed. It was wild. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Good questions. I'm, I'm enjoying these questions So from all you guys today. Good, really good stuff. All right. Let's get some more super chats. We had Richard Motts with a super chat. Thank you so much, Richard. With all the with all the good old offensive line classes from 2023 and 2024, could there be a possibility to rotate players like the defensive line to keep players fresh? Would this disrupt things too much? I'm okay with like rotation at like one position potentially if there's two guys that are equal, Richard. But I do not want to do in a lot of like rotating on the offensive line because that yeah. is just a position where it's. It's about cohesion, man. It's about yeah. being used to the guy next to you. Like I, I'm not for that personally. Not for that. I will say this, Ryan. I, I've advocated for there to be rotations at times. It's usually for a spot or two. There has to be structure to it. That's the thing. There has to be structure to it. There has to be a plan. You have to know. Like the thing that worked so well about 2017 is Tommy Kramer and Robert Hainsey both knew exactly when they're going in the game, and it was every other series. Unless it was two minute, then Robert was going in, or four minute, which is the one where you're going to run the clock out, then Tommy was going in. Like they knew exactly the plan every single week. And then that, but that also means that Alex Bars knew what the plan was. He knew who was going to be beside him every series. Okay, here's who's beside me every series. It has to be something like that where you're you're getting that or what you could what you could also do, Ryan, is you could in that situation, you could actually have a, a, a substitution where you're right guard and right tackle for example come in every fourth series you sub that position that that side out if it's unique enough but again continuity to to the and i think richard mott knows this from the question continuity is so important with offensive line play it really is because you have to play together like if you're a receiver you have to know your the other guy's route because it impacts your route but it, it it you're not playing together the same way you are in the offensive line and so you've got to I've got to know how this guy works. I got to know. I got to be able to feel like people say, well, you know, your offensive linemen communicate. They tell, but there's, if you're trying to run inside zone in a 110,000 seat stadium and everybody's screaming, you may not hear that guy saying, I got it. You know, it's a feel. I feel I felt yeah. him and then I, I knew I could go. That comes from reps, 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 reps with that guy. Yes. And it can be hard to, to, to get that reps if you're just constantly rotating guys in and out there. So unless you're going to do a, a very specific set rotation like they did in 2017, or if it's going to be like a side, then I just I don't think it can really work the way that it does on D-line and receiver and other positions. I, just, I don't think it can. But I, I think in certain situations you can make it work, but it has to be practice. It has to be this is what we're doing, and this is we're just going with it, and this is exactly what we do, and everybody knows what's what's going on, and that's what made it work in 2017. And you won a Joe Moore Award with your right tackle position rotating every series, okay. but everybody knew exactly what the deal was when and who was going to be on the field, and that's what made it work. We had another one, Ida Benami. Thank you so much for the super chat. We thought Golden Mickens might leave, and it could be Al Washington. Maybe. 
Uh, here, there, there's another question here, Ryan, about it. It says, uh, Michael S says, with su- thank you for super chat, by the way, Michael S, but chances of safety coach, Chris O'Leary leaving for the NFL. I don't know. I mean, he, he got NFL interest last year. I'm sure he's getting NFL interest now. I've heard this team, that team. I think, I think we spend too much time stressing over assistant coaches leaving, potentially leaving. And, and for me, there's really only one position coach that I look at and I say, gosh, I hope he doesn't leave. And that's Mike Mickens. Now, I don't want any of them to leave. I like continuity, but it's, you know, you lost Chancey Stuckey, you replace him with somebody better. You lost Jared Parker, you replace him with somebody better. You know, I mean, you lost Lance Taylor, you replace him with somebody better. I mean, that that's, that's you if you have enough faith in the guy that hired all these guys to begin with, and yes, Marcus Freeman did hire Chris O'Leary because I was told at the time that Marcus Fre- that Brian Kelly was going to let Marcus Freeman decide who was going to be the safeties coach in 2021 and he picked Chris O'Leary. And and so uh to me if Chris O'Leary leaves, okay. Go replace him with somebody just as good or better. If Al Washington leaves because he's going to get the D coordinator job, your defensive line coach job just got that much more attractive cuz I can go to Notre Dame, do a good job for 2 years and get a Power 5 D coordinator job. All right, and they're going to pay money too? All right, and I get a coach with Marcus Freeman. All right, cool, let's do it. So I just I I would say I don't I just don't worry about that stuff, Ryan. I mean, I, if Chris O'Leary leaves, I don't want him to leave. But if he does, okay, he'll be fine. You know, if Al Washington leaves, I don't want him to leave. But if he does, he'll be fine. You know, and so I just that's why I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to it. it I don't know. I have no clue what they're going to do, and I we won't know till they make a decision. But if they leave, they leave. And you replace them with somebody just as good or better. That's that's what Marcus Freeman will be tasked to doing. So if you have faith in Marcus Freeman, who hired these guys to begin with, then you should have faith that he'll be able to find their replacements. He didn't accidentally hire all these good coaches, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the it's reality. A sign of a, it's a sign of a healthy program that we're talking about this each and every year. Right. I mean, it is. So if Al that's Washington right. gets a major power five defensive coordinator position, it's a, it's a step up on the, on the ladder. If Great Chris O'Leary gets a... Safety coach position in the NFL, that's a step up. I mean, ultimately. So as long as they're not getting demotions and they're not leaving for lesser jobs, that's when you start worrying. This is a a rich man's problem right here is that guys are getting promotions to other schools, potentially. Correct. That's a great way of putting it. Great way of putting it. Had a super chat from Will Falk. Will, thank you very, very, very much. Andy Milton fan, what are some of the more frustrating Notre Dame recruitments you can recall and why? How many players that did or did not end up actually going to Notre Dame? Well, I mean, we it's hard for me to look past last year. I mean, that that was such a the Peyton Bowen thing was one of the dumbest, like most frustrating recruitments I've ever seen. Cause I've never seen a kid just so blatantly lie to people the way that Peyton, and I'm just flat out, I'll say it. He flat out lied to people right to their face. And because he was telling every school something completely different. So he was lying to somebody. Only one of those schools was getting the truth to, to being told to them. And like, even after he, he did the thing with Oregon, he was on the phone telling Notre Dame coaches, I made a mistake. I want to sign with you guys and got right off the phone and told the Oklahoma coaches the same exact yep. thing. And talking that to was commits in the class for Notre Dame. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just that was frustrating. That was most of the other recruitments like Keon's Keon's recruitment was disappointing. It wasn't frustrating. He was very honest. This is what I'm doing. This is what I want to do. And he did it 
over the summer. It was okay. I, I, I'm not happy about it. It sucks for Notre Dame, but it wasn't frustrating. Peyton yeah. Bowens was frustrating because, like, we're having to report what we're told. The family's telling us this. Notre Dame's telling us this. It matches. We have to report it. I don't know what else to tell you. It, you know, and, he, and then he just lied. And he's lying. He strung people yeah. along. Yeah. Yeah. And that was frustrating. So, you know, I, yeah, yeah. Cause like you, you knew there was something, there had to be something more to it because of what all these Oklahoma people kept saying over and over. But it's like, guys, I don't know what to tell you. This is what the Notre coaches are telling us because that's what Peyton telling them, is telling them. And this is what Peyton side is telling us. They're telling us it's nothing. It's nothing to worry about. So I don't know what we're supposed to do. I mean, if we call them liars beforehand, then we look like jackholes and you know, how would you call them liars and stuff, you know, it's like, and then we get blamed. He picks Oklahoma. It's because you guys called him a liar. Well, he was, <laughs> you know, but ne- so it's like, we just got to report what we're told and then whatever happens, happens. And then, you know, we talk about afterwards, but th- that's the only one that I really felt as frustrating from that standpoint. There was a lot of frustrating recruitments in the Brian Kelly tenure, just because you knew there was a lot of guys that could have got if Brian Kelly would have worked harder. That's as simple yeah. as that. Jalen McMillan probably is at Notre Dame if Brian Kelly worked harder or had any desire to get on the trail. There's a lot of that. It, if you don't want to be called a liar, then don't lie. That's all, right. I, all I got to say about Peyton Bowen. All, all I yes. got to say about Peyton Bowen. That's yeah. it. I, I think my only frustration yeah. over the last couple cycles is like, I wish Notre Dame would have pushed for a particular guy. Like maybe that's sure. where my frustration spurs from. Sure. Yeah. Yep. We had Andy Milton fan. Another Brian Kelly question. What car best describes Brian Kelly and why? What type of car? I don't know. Pick a car that's really flashy on the outside, but just a bunch of crap on the inside, and then that's um, that's Brian Kelly. Uh, I will pick a a Beetle because they're, they're very small, little. Sure. I don't know. Don't yeah, have a good yeah. one. Sorry. There you go. Uh, Steve Rolf with the super chat. What do you guys think of position changes? How do you gauge if a move was smart? What do you do if you move a guy to a spot and he's just a bad fit? Well, I mean, you don't move him, and if right. you do make that mistake, you fix it as quickly as possible. I mean, look, that's always going to happen. You're like, man, this kid's got some traits. I think he can play here, and then you move him. You're like, yeah, he doesn't have the. He doesn't. It's not natural to him. You know, you could look at a guy. This guy's six four. He moves with ease, and he's fluid, and he can jump. Let's move him to receiver. You move him over there and he says, no feel for it, can't catch. And you're like, well, okay, we need to end this experiment pretty quickly. So if you ever make a move like that, Steve, just fix it, rectify it. Don't, 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 don't be that coach that's unwilling to admit, okay, this, this was a bad idea. And then just keep, keep it along. So I'm all for position changes. I'm, I'm, I think that the only issue I have with position changes besides what I just said, Ryan, is when you're moving a kid knowing he can't play for you there, you just need a body. I think right. I think that's very unfair to the kid unless you tell him that. Hey, listen, you're not going to play here, but we got to have somebody that can give us some depth here. You know, right. just be honest about it. But I, I think that that's the only time I, I don't have I have issues with position changes. Is like like don't move Xavier Watts to defense and then I'll not let him play. Like I hated that right. when they did that. Like you know, it's like if you're going to move him, let him play. And then they eventually did, and it worked out. But yeah, just. How do you gauge if a move was smart? I mean, the easy one is it, you know, okay, was it smart to move Xavier Watts defense? Well, yeah, looking back now, it was. But if he doesn't pan out, does that mean it wasn't the right move at the time? Not necessarily. I mean, so it can be hard to evaluate that, you know what I mean? Because it it still might have been the right move, it just didn't work out. That happens sometimes, you know, it, it does. 
it usually comes down to a fundamental question. And my fundamental question would be very, very, very short on this one is does making this move, this switch, this position change make us a better football team? If the answer is yes, then it was a good decision. If it doesn't work out or not, it was still a good decision at the time. The next step will be worth of, you know, the, the full scope of everything. But I think that ultimately you try to put the player in the best possible circumstance individually. And you ask yourself, what is best for the team, right? Like we, you can have a cloudy vision otherwise, but if you answer those two questions, hopefully with a yes on both sides, then it was a good decision ultimately. All right, we got one more super chat and then we'll get back to the top here. Michael S with the super chat. Thank you, sir. Says Chip Kelly to Ohio State. Your thoughts? They got better today with Chip Kelly yes. as their offensive coordinator. That's Chip Kelly is one of the brighter offensive minds in college football and the NFL. Very yep. smart guy. Diverse run scheme that is very creative. And I have seen him win with different types of quarterbacks throughout his career, different types of running backs as well. I mean, he had Zach Charbonnet, who's a big physical back. He's had guys like Michael James, who is not at all a big physical back. So I think that Ohio State just got scarier offensively because they have yeah. a much better play caller in than they previously did. I mean, I, I, I think Bill O'Brien's a very quality, good play caller. Chip Kelly's better, just flat out. Yep. And, that's and a better college play caller as well, yeah. in my opinion. Much better college play caller. And honestly, I'm very – I my only issue with this move is the dynamic between Ryan Day and Chip Kelly. If he lets Chip Kelly coach the offense, you just got better in two spots, Ryan. You got better as your OC, and your O-line coach just got better. Where did Justin Fry come from? UCLA, yep. Right, because him and Chip Kelly were a good pair. Ryan Day is a soft coach. His teams are soft on offense because he's soft, right? You and I would probably have some disagreements, Ryan, over, over the evaluation of him as a play caller. We both agree he's overrated to the degrees we would probably disagree on. But the one thing that, I've, that I'll always agree with you on is he's soft, which makes his offense soft. And if he hadn't gone and hired Jim Knowles and just hired some other young defensive coordinator, they'd still be soft on defense as well. He at least made a smart hire there. He's going to hire himself into success because it, it it requires the team to rely less and less on him and his personality. If he lets Chip Kelly run this offense, they're going to get back to being physical and running the football, which is going to make them a more uh, – they, they're not going to maybe throw for as many yards as they have at times, but they're going to be a way better team. And this system will fit Will Howard way better, way better than anything Ryan Day has ever done with that kind of quarterback. So if he lets him run the offense, I think this is a great hire for Ohio state. Now the question is, is this is probably short term. This is probably for like a year, maybe two, because Chip's going to want to go. Chip wants out of UCLA because he knows they don't want him and he doesn't want them. Right. I mean, he's done with that. He's going to be a head coach again, probably soon somewhere. And so, but it's, but Hey, if you're Ohio state, you don't care. It's like the Rams, right? I mean, look, you're all in for a title in 2024. That, that they're selling, you're sacrificing everything else to try to win this year, to try to get back and win it, you know, title, Big Ten. You got to beat Michigan. You got to make a run. You got to get back to people thinking you're Ohio State again. And uh, 
I think this is a this is a great hire. Some people in the chat talking about he's not a very good, you know, he's a turd of a coach. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. You he's, know, he's got a big ego. And, I mean, and, but hundred like, percent. I, I, think, that, so, I, think, so, I think that's actually good though, because that means that Chip Kelly would not have come here if he wasn't going to be in charge of the offense. Yeah. I don't believe. So. But here's the other thing too: is I think the dynamic between Chip Kelly and Ryan Day is going to work because they already know each other. Remember, Ryan Day worked for Chip Kelly at New Hampshire. I'm pretty sure. They coached together in New Hampshire for him. Right. When he was the OC at New Hampshire, I believe that was one of, let me, let me go look up Ryan Day's uh, resume. Cause I'm pretty sure that you could be correct about him also being a player there. He was a player from 98 to 2001. Yes. And, and, and Chip Kelly, I believe was on the staff. Let me just look. Cause I want to make sure that I get this right. He was at New Hampshire from, he was the OC from 99 to 2006. So he was his OC for two years. Uh, Ryan Day, well, actually, no, hold on, more than that. He was a player there from 98 to 2001. So he was his, all, all four years he was the OC. For, or all but one year he was the OC. The one year he wasn't the OC, he was the O-line coach. And then Ryan Day's first coaching job was an O2 at New Hampshire under Chip Kelly. Uh, and Because Chip Kelly didn't leave for Oregon until 07. So I have to think that they both understand and have had converse because there is that long-term previous relationship. I have to think it's going to work, but we just need to see Ryan Day do it when, you know, and not panic and and change things. So to your point, the very first thing you said, Ohio, this was a Bill O'Brien leaving was a potentially really good thing for Ohio State, in my opinion. Replacing him with Chip Kelly makes that a very, very, very good thing. Because, again, I I think Chip Kelly's more of a college coach than Bill O'Brien. And I think that fits who – because what when Ohio State won a title, Ryan, what were they? They were a team that ran the ball down your freaking throat. They were physical. They ran right at Bama. And they would run downhill, throw downhill, man. That's who they were. And the further and further along away they've gotten away from Urban, the softer they've become. And it's because yeah. of Ryan Day. And I think Chip Kelly brings that back. and the O-line coach is someone that he knows and has worked with. So you're going to have a very smooth transition from a coaching standpoint up front as well. So I, and you're, and he's going to have better talent at receiver than he ever had at UCLA and in sure. Oregon, in my opinion. So, you, you know, this, this was a, if, if you're an Ohio state fan, I have to think you're pretty fired up today. I have to I, think that. I also think that now Ryan Day can concentrate on the, the important things like trying to beat up Lou Holtz. It's going to be a good time. Good for his time. You really dislike Ryan Day, and I can't fault you for it. He's a tur- really he's a turd, man. He's an absolute. Turd. I really can't fault you for it. Um, I, I very much dislike him, and 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 not just as a coach, but just just as a as a guy. Just yes. not a fan, not a fan. But yes, this was a smart hire, very very yeah. smart hire, in my opinion. We had Andy Milton fan. Has any Notre Dame player ever taken over a game as much by themselves as actually possible? Sure. I mean, Jerron Jones against Miami in 2016, Jerry Tillery against Stanford in 2018. I I don't know if you could have a defensive tackle performance better in just a game than what Jerry Tillery had against Stanford in 2018. Like, I think that game USC last year. Yeah. But would you say I think that game against Stanford got made Jerry Tillery a first round draft pick? I I I I do. I think that people look back at that game and kept saying to us, boy, if we can get that, you know, six, seven, three, ten, and he can move like that and have four sacks against Stanford and you know, all this other kind of stuff. Um, 
I mean, Rocket had some games he just flat out took over. I mean, Miami, Miami in 1990, Rocket kind of took that game over, runs, catches, kick return for a touchdown. Um, you know, Lou Lou, Lou Samoji will tell you there was a lot of games Rocket took the second half of games over. They just so what they would do, Ryan, back with Rocket is in in '89 and especially 1990, they would basically wear you down with like Ricky Waters and all the other backs in the fourth quarter, put Rocket in the game, <laughs> hand them him in the ball, and he's just so fast and you were so worn out that he just would rip you apart. Um, but uh, I mean. Uh, there was a couple games. I'm trying to think which game it was. Brady Quinn had a couple games where you're just like, I don't know if you could play much better quarterback, you know, at, at, at that time than what, what Brady did. No, especially 05. He was he was really really good in 05. Um, yeah. I mean, we've I, seen units. The Notre Dame offensive yeah. line against BC in, in in 2017 was ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, I think. I- I mean, I know we're we're obviously trying to think of like times where they played probably against you know really good teams and took the game over, but like I would mm-hmm. even see Aldrich estimate last year against Stanford, he took that game over. Oh like, yeah, he's ridiculous, debilitating for Stanford. They're just like we can't stop Aldrich estimate, like can't ridiculous. stop him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean Josh, I mean Josh Adams against USC in oh, 17 with the similar thing, you know, just yeah. running it just down their throat. So yeah, there's been there's been some games like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to trying to think. Shimadem, Shinadem Nadukwe against Navy that one year, where you like oh, yeah, like twenty second <laughs> Oh, hey, here's another defensive one: Harrison Smith against Miami in 2010. Yeah, I mean, just picked him off three times in the first half, just completely changed that game. I mean, I, I that was a phenomenal game uh, from Harrison in, in 2010. So yeah, we've seen stuff like that before. Now for a game. For a season, it's a little harder, but for a game, yeah, I, I think the Xavier Watson at USC one is 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 a big one as well, Ryan. That was a yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty Tomer. good. Domer Grizz, happy Friday. Since the staff is, is intact and the twenty twenty four signees buttoned up, what are Marcus Freeman's top three daily priorities between now and the start of spring practice? Oh, say uh, establishing culture. Obviously, that's one. Figuring out how to get the offense to play at championship caliber defense or a caliber level, excuse me. Uh, what does that look like? What is your identity going to be this season? Uh, I think those are all parts of of what the offseason is about. And third one. Uh I mean, just right now it's about just figuring out what the what the actual it's like right now. This time of the offseason, we were talking about cooking last night, Ryan, because somebody said that you had said that you're the by far the best cook that we have on the IB staff. So we had to Joking we had to address that. Yeah. We had, I know, I know. Yeah. Uh we were having some fun with that last night. But uh mm-hmm. so so you and I both like to cook, is the point that I'm making. And so, yeah. like when you're when you like to cook, you're not someone who just follows recipes all the time. You like to expand. Let me try this, let me try that. Let me let me see if no, that didn't work. You know, put that in my chili, that didn't work. This is that time of the year where some of that thought process is being worked out. Who's going to be where? What about maybe having this guy? And then you have that conversation. Yeah, no, that's not going to work. So there's a lot of that stuff is like, what, what is the actual makeup of your team going to be? Who's going to yep. play where? What kind of, you know, so there's a lot of that stuff. So just, you're really trying to figure out what the identity of this specific team is. Because every team is going to be different in some ways. And that's a lot of what this time of the year is, honestly, for me, Ryan. I mean, you could find three, four, five things just in that regard 
that you have to focus yep. on right now. But it, it all mm -hmm. revolves around culture and identity and who you want to be. If you don't establish that now, you don't start doing that in July. You don't do that in fall camp. If you haven't established who you are identity-wise or culture-wise, by the time you get to the summer, you're just not going to be very strong in those areas, in my opinion. It starts yeah. three weeks ago. Yep. Well, and uh, Marcus Freeman's top three daily priorities, you know, being a father right now. It's the off-season, man. Being, being, a, being a husband, being a father. Yeah. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah. Very he's, good. Got, he's got a lot on his plate on a day-to-day -day perspective. I mean, Domer, like, I, there's a lot that he does on a day-to-day -day perspective, man. Like, I know he's not coaching, coaching right now, but, I mean, it's a, it's a grind right now. It's an absolute yeah. grind. So, Jason Smith just said, I wonder if UCLA will regret doing Chip Kelly the way they did. Let me let me find out who they hire as his replacement, but I have a feeling, yes, UCLA is going to look back and be like, yeah, we were stupid. There, yeah. One thing that I'll say against Chip is that I think Chip did a good job at UCLA. I think Chip is a great offensive mind. I don't think he did a great job of putting a good roster together necessarily for the at long times, term. I mean, yeah. That, that yeah, roster right now is bad, man. Like fair. It's not a good roster. It is not. So that's we'll fair, see, man. And we'll how see. about all those Notre Dame kids that went to UCLA this offseason? I wonder how they're feeling right now. Yeah, that's another interesting one because you had uh, you had Rico went there. Mm -hmm. You had um, I'm trying to think they had they had four guys, I think, that either came right directly from Notre Dame or indirectly like they had been at Notre Dame. KJ Wallace. KJ Wallace is there too, I think right? KJ was KJ another there. one, right? Let me yeah. just go to this here real quick. So commitments. Let's see here. All right. Let's see. Transfer commitments. So you had Rico Flores. You had KJ Wallace, Ramon Henderson, and Michael Carmody. That's who it was. That's where Ramon Henderson four. is too now? Mm -hmm. He's a Cali yeah, kid. The Carmody one is the one that, that was the biggest surprise for me. I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. But, uh, yeah, they also got Brian Addison from Oregon. So, like yeah. Addison a little bit. Yeah. 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 They got a kid from Navy, kid from Yale. So, yeah, not, not a, got a long snapper. They just, not, yeah. they just don't recruit high school morning. well at all, man, which is just not good. So, no. Yeah. No, I, I, they, I do like the quasi-Gilmer kid. He's a pretty good player. But, yeah, I look at these guys, and I'm like, yeah, none of these guys are guys that should be at a place like Notre Dame. But I think he stopped recruiting, like, months ago because he – like, the yeah. way that UCLA – like, to me, there's a right and a wrong way to to deal with a coach. And when a coach is in the middle of a winning season and you're dropping stuff about how you want to fire him, like, you know what? You deserve whatever crap comes your way. Like, there, yeah. there, that's a whole thing. It's like, yeah – there's things you could look at and say, Chip Kelly need to do better here, need to do better there. He's not easy to get along with. I mean, anyone will tell sure. you that. But, again, there's a there's a right way and a wrong way to go about it. And the way they went about it was was wrong. Whoever the next UCLA head coach is is not going to be in the best position for the short term. Yeah. Hopefully they can build for the long term. Real quick note, Ryan. My dad just dropped a uh, a character that should be on, on the um, – the uh, Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame. My dad said the okay. character that Robert Duvall played in Open Range. It's one of my dad's favorite movies. Never seen so, it. Never seen yeah, it. Yeah, my favorite Robert Duvall character was, I don't know if you've ever seen this, was from Secondhand Lions. Have you ever seen that movie? It was him and Michael Caine yeah. and Haley Joel Osment. It's very surprisingly a very good movie. Okay. Very well done. But yeah, my dad, my dad likes Open Range quite a bit. It's a little sure. bit, not super older movie, but it's, it's not recent. Mm-hmm. John A1 says, since Marcus Freeman took over as the head coach, what position group 
has the staff upgraded the most in recruiting? Quarterback. I mean, linebacker, right? Quarterback. Oh, okay, fair, fair. Yeah. I mean, yeah, quarterback. Linebacking has been very good, Ryan, but yeah. there have been stretches where Notre Dame has recruited the linebacker position pretty well. Uh, defensively, I think you could debate whether it's linebacker or corner. It's one of those two, in my opinion. Linebacker and corner, to me. I think you could give the slight edge to linebacker because I think this year's linebacker class is so much better than the cornerback class, in my opinion. Um, but in you know last year, I mean, you had you were great at both last year in 2023. You had yeah. you know Jaden and Drake and Preston, and then you also had Christian and, and uh, Micah Bell at corner. 2022, you brought in uh, Benjamin Morrison and Jaden Mickey. Your linebacker class was also excellent with Jalen Sneed and Josh Burnham and Preston Zinner, and not um, excuse me, Nolan Ziegler and um, Junior Chilamaka. So they they've recruited them both pretty well, and they've been able to use the linebacker strength of recruiting to help out where they hadn't recruited very well previously, which was the defensive line position. You were able to move a couple guys there to help you out. Sure. And so, uh, but yeah, this year there was a little separation at linebacker, in my opinion. I, I mean. I love Leonard Moore, but he's not as good as Kingston. And I think sure. Bodie is is definitely better than Carson, in my personal opinion. And then you have Teddy. Obviously, you bring in as your number three. So, But, yeah, it, it, that's debatable. O- offensively, quarterback, easily. Easily. It, they've upgraded the most since since Marcus Rooney's got here, in my opinion. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's fun. I think if you were to pick side of the ball, I said this last night, Ryan, I'm going to ask you this now. And, and, and I'm curious if your answer is the same as mine, which side of the ball has Notre Dame recruited better overall since Marcus room is hired as that football coach. I, I, I like the 2023 defensive class better. I like the 2024 offensive class better. I don't know. I'll just see what 2025 ends up looking like. I'm kind of split on yeah. that one. Kind of split. I think it's, I think it's offense for sure. Because I, I do think you could argue that the 23 defensive class was better than the 23 offensive class. Yeah. But it's I would not by, by it's not uh, it's not by as much as the offensive class in 24 is better than the 24 defensive class, in my opinion. And that's the difference for me. So I think they have definitely upgraded the offensive side. Now I think the thing that you could say is that makes it to where I think we would definitely agree is which side of the ball, regardless of what they've recruited better. What side have they upgraded bet more compared to where they were recruiting previously? And I sure. think that would, to yeah. me, would would definitely be offense. What's interesting though is Notre Dame has recruited offense pretty well at times in the past. They just didn't develop it. I mean, people say, "Well, oh, yeah. we've never seen a receiver class like the last couple of years." I'm like, "Yeah, we did. Look at 15 and 16. Those you had Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, Equinemi St. Brown, Kevin Stefferson, C.J. Sanders, Javon McKinley, Jalen Guyton, all in a two-year span." I mean, you know what I mean? Like they didn't do as much with those guys as they should have at different times. And so it just, it was always about, can you get the most out of them? And that's what we're still waiting to find out. Super chat from Sean S. Random question. Is there a running back in the past 25 years at Notre Dame you take over Julius Jones? Is there a running back in the past? Uh, 25 years. So that would go back to 1998, 99. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Audrick Estime was pretty freaking good this I was, year. I was going to say Audrick Estime <laughs> is a pretty good conversation. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Ju- Julius was a great talent 
and 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 a really good back, but I don't know that we ever saw the best of Julius Jones at Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, for a couple reasons. Number one is you know he he did have the suspension where he missed a year. I mean you can't discount that. And the other fact is he didn't play on great teams. I mean, look as a, as Julius's best year was his last year, two thousand and three, and that was when he came back from the suspension. And he was very good that year. He averaged he rushed for twelve hundred and sixty eight yards and had 10 touchdowns. He rushed for 5.5 yards per carry. He didn't think he just didn't play on a very good team, Ryan. And and so I, I you know, you, you tamp that down a little bit. Audric this year had 1,341 yards in only 12 games. Julius played in 12 as well. So Audric had set was it be set 41, 32, 73 more yards. Audric had eight more touchdowns and Audric averaged almost a full yard more per carry. And Audric also had more value in the pass game, just product numbers wise. He had 17 catches for 142 yards, and Julius had 10 catches for 53 yards. I mean, so just production wise, and then that was Julius's basically fifth year. Audric did this as a true junior. If you look at their true junior years, Julius in 2001 had 718 rushing yards and six touchdowns, 4.3 yards per carry, and Audric was at 1,300 yards. I mean, it just it's not close in that regard. So. Julius, I don't know that we ever saw the best of Julius Jones at Notre Dame because of team he played on, what was around him, offense, missing the year, all that kind of stuff. Because he was a little different athlete when he came back. He was a little bit stiffer, you know, a little bit thicker. He wasn't quite as explosive as he was. So, um, I mean, Audric would be one. He, he, he'd he be one. I'd have to think about some others, but there's Josh been some Adams. pretty good guys. I mean, production-wise, Josh. Yeah, yeah. production-wise. I think Josh Adams is more of a byproduct of the system. I think if you to put Julius on – like, if you to put Julius on the 17 team, it would have looked way different. I don't think it would have looked any different if you to put Julius on this year's team with Aldrich. And and I and I, I look. I think Audric was the perfect back for this team because of his unique skill set. Really fit this team very very well. Audric was really good this year. He, yeah. I mean, and and there were times where I mean, you go break down the Clemson game where you're thinking, you know, the offensive line blocked pretty well in the first half because Audric kept ripping off big runs. And then you go back and you watch it in the All Twenty Two, and you're like, no, he just made something out of nothing there. That probably should have been a two yard loss, and he you know, turned it into a twenty two yard run. I mean, he just was, he just was excellent. Julius was really good. I just think – I just don't know if if he was quite the back that maybe some of us remember looking back. And he did have that one phenomenal game against Pitt. I mean, that was tremendous. And yeah. I know I'm going to get some angry angry text messages from friends of mine telling me how good Julius Jones was. And he was. He was, a, he was a great back in 2003. And he was underutilized for a big chunk of his career, in my opinion, as well, right? I think you could make that case too. But, I mean, Kyron in 20 – Kyron in 2020 was pretty flipping good. You know, I mean, he was a pretty good back that year. Um, Dexter Williams in 18, once he came back, was really yeah. good. You know, I mean, Dexter had almost 1,000 yards and missed the first four games of the year. You know, Pro-size I mean, in 2015. Yeah, yeah. Prosice in 2015 was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, they've had some, they've had some, some pretty good backs. Uh, Darius Walker was not a great back, but Darius Walker was the perfect back for that 0506 offenses because he was a such yep. a he was a pass catcher, he was a slasher, he was the perfect complement to what that team was. But I would have liked to have seen like a Julius Jones be like the hammer on that team. That would have been fun to watch. But sure. yeah, there's been some good backs. Maybe not NFL guys until until uh recently, but yeah, 
there's there's been some good guys last 25 years that's a that's a good one sean that's a good one it's a good debate I, and i know that there's going to be some people that are like oh you know julius this and and i get it and he's a virginia guy so you know i'm partial to that too i just I think they've had some guys that were really, really good. And the other thing is just Julius was just kind of good for that one year. Now, I don't think it was his fault, right? If he went back and looked, I don't think it was him. It was more so the teams and the coaches and, and how he was used. But, yeah, I just don't think he was the same athlete when he came back in 23. Because I, I think people think the same guy that we saw return those kicks for touchdowns as a freshman is the same athlete we saw in 03, and he wasn't. Because he spent that year away working out with his brother, and he came back jacked, but he came back stiff and tight. In my opinion, he just wasn't the same kind of elusive athlete like he was early in his career, in my opinion. But again, what would he have done if he'd have played on a better team? That's that's a question. But we don't know. We don't know what he would have done. I know what Audric did this year on a on a not great offense. Let's be honest. You know, I mean, he was a heck of a player. Heck of a player. Good, good Julius question. was also a one year wonder in the NFL as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. What what did he do in the NFL, Ryan? I, I know he had a he, he was, had a thousand he was like a thousand yard back as a rookie, and uh, he ran for like two hundred plus on Thanksgiving Day that year for the Cowboys, and then he just I think he just broke down after that. Yeah. So. He uh yeah went eight nineteen as a rookie, nine ninety three in year two, thousand eighty four in year three, and then five eighty eight, six ninety eight, six sixty three, and then he was done. So. Yeah. Interesting. His brother was a pretty good back too. Notre Dame, 2164. Thank you for the question. I'm very high on Jaden Osbury, and I'm so excited to see what he can be in year two. Do you guys think that he forces his way onto the field this year? I hope so. hope so. That's all I'm at right now. Yeah. I hope so. Do I think that he, he will? I don't know. Do I think he can? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I Ryan, I think we're going to see a, a, a more of a rotation at linebacker this year than we saw last year. I do. You should. I do. We should. Yeah. yeah, I understood them not having a deeper rotation this year. Two reasons why. Number one, the defense wasn't on the field a ton, so they didn't need to play 75 snaps every single week. And number two, I do think there was a pretty big gap between the starters and the guys behind them this year because of this huge experience gap. I don't think that's going to exist next year. Like, even if Drake Bowen is everything we hope he should be, I still want to see Kingston in the rotation. If Jalen yes. Sneed is everything that I that we hope he can be and starts as the will – great. I still want to see Jaden Osbury and, and vice versa. If Jaden Osbury is everything that I think he is, and I had him as a top 50 recruit, if he st- takes the will starting job at will and he's everything I hope he could be, I still want to see Jalen Steed as part of the rotation playing there yeah. or, or Preston Zinner or, or whoever. So I, I do want to see a little bit more of rotation than we did last year, but I don't want that to be taken as a criticism of them not rotating last year. Cause I actually understand why we didn't see as much of a rotation this year. As, as we should have seen in previous years and what I think we should see in 2024 thoughts on that. Yeah. We need, yeah. I mean, yeah, you had, you had a lot of experience coming back in, in this past season. And I think for the most part, the linebackers played pretty well in 2023. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a little bit of a youth movement. And I don't think that you're in a, you're in a position where you've recruited really well at the position and you should be able to have a deeper rotation than what you've had in years past. And there should be no just foregone conclusion as far as like, should be, Look, I, I, if Drake Bowen wins the job and he is the best player by far and he plays the most snaps, great. But like as of right now, nobody has shown us anything on the college level where it's just like that guy is a unquestioned starter, no doubt about it. I mean, Jack Kaiser is obviously going to play a lot because of what he's done throughout his career. But overall, there should be an open competition and there should be a lot of rotation. 
Zach Martin, early 2026 Evil Lab recruiting crushes both nationally and reasonable Notre Dame targets. Man, we're talking about 2026 already, man. I don't even know that I can name a 2026. Ryder Lions, quarterback, Blaine Bradford out of Louisiana. That's what I like. He's a really good player. The Utu kid out of Orange Catholic, the offensive tackle that I believe is the only offensive lineman that Notre Dame has offered in 2026, is a good player. I mean, otherwise, it's a small list. There's a lot of quarterbacks that have been offered, or well, a decent amount of quarterbacks that have been yeah. offered. Otherwise, I mean, there's one offensive tackle. I think there's two safeties, maybe. Like, it's a small list right now, obviously. Levy Perez, Levi Perez, excuse me. How do you grade the Wink Martindale hire by Sharon Moore? R- Ryan, I, I don't watch as much NFL as you do. What are your thoughts on? I mean, the first thing I thought is they're 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 trying to get back to the NFL thing, which worked with Mike McDonald, which worked worked with Jesse Minter. I, I think they're very different types of personalities in Wink Martindale. I'm not on, yep. on the hoof. I I don't know that I love this uh, love this one. Oh, I think it's a great yeah. hire, man. I think it's a great hire. Wink well, is one of the most well respected defensive minds in the NFL. He's a in the NFL. Sure. Do you think he'll be able to transition to college? Is my question. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, he's a he's not an overcomplicated system. It's not like one of those systems where you're just like it's going to take two years to really figure it out. And to be, and he's a very aggressive minded coach. He's going to let mm-hmm. guys fly around, but he's a pretty sound defensive coordinator as well. I mean, he just plays loose. Like he likes to be aggressive, a lot of blitzing mm-hmm. and and different styles that way. So I I think it's a I mean going from McDonald to Minter and now replacing him again. I mean, I think Wink is a very good defensive coordinator, so I expect him to be good. Here's my concern. You're talking about you're going from a guy who has not coached in college since 03. That's that's Al, the, Al Golden that's wasn't the a defensive coordinator since 2003 either. I mean, so yeah, but Al Golden had been in college. He'd coached sure. in college as a head sure. football coach and ran defenses. So Al Golden was in college in 2015. He knew the recruiting landscape. He knew more of it and he even had an adjustment to make you're talking about a guy who hasn't been in college in 20 years that that would be my concern i don't know anything about him as a defensive coordinator that's why i wanted to kick that to you because i don't watch the nfl uh, he did coach play at defiance college where i coached but um yeah that would be my only concern would be that transition and wondering how much he's going to recruit but at the end of the day I, it's kind of like what i say without golden if the product is good enough and you have other good recruiters on the staff, you'll still get your players. John A1, my conspiracy in the SEC urged the NCAA to hit Florida State and Miami with sanctions when the ACC expanded in 2005 to keep those schools from dominating recruiting, which allowed Florida and Alabama dynasties. Do you agree? Oh, I don't know. I mean, would I put it past them? No, but I have no evidence of that. I mean, Miami was getting pretty blatant with some of the stuff they were doing. Uh, you know, I mean, I I think you'd have a greater – I'd be more sympathetic to you if you wanted to tell me that what happened to SMU was BS because they weren't supposed to be a big boy. I think that, that – I don't know that what SMU was doing was necessarily worse than what was happening at A&M and Texas – but you're SMU. You're not Texas. You're not Oklahoma. You're not supposed to be doing this. Um, and then they just got a little crazy with it. And I think that's kind of what happened at, at Miami. They got a little crazy with some of the stuff they were doing. Some of the stuff was just so blatant. You're just like, guys, you know, you can't do that. So I, I don't know that. Um, 
I don't know, man. I don't know if I yeah. could I it have happened. That. Sure. I wouldn't put it past the SEC to do that, but I just, I have no evidence that that happened. And the stuff that we do know about, I'm, I'm, I'm a little less familiar with, I can't quite remember Florida state. I know they like the free shoes and all that, but uh, I, I don't think Florida state took a hit because of that. I think Florida state took a hit just because you know, Bobby Bowden started getting a little up there in years and, and, you know, just the program wasn't as good and it, and money became a lot more of a thing And Florida state's never been a super wealthy school. I mean, I think that's hurt them. That's hurt them quite a bit is as, as facilities and the, the, the facilities, you know, race to the arms race, so to speak. And it became so much more about how much you can spend on this, this, and this and Florida state's just not a school that can spend. I think those things all factored into this being an issue for Florida state than others. But look, here's the deal with Florida state. You hire the right coach. You're going to win. I mean, let's, let's be honest. There's only been one coach in Florida state's history. That's won with any consistency. That's Bobby Bowden. So is, is that, is Florida state a place that can, can win if you, you know, or, or do they, did they happen to just get the right coach at the right time? I, I don't know. You know, we, we haven't seen that proven out. I, so I, I just think there's a lot of things that factor into why Florida state has struggled and, and yes, Miami got hit with heavy sanctions, but we've seen teams with hit with heavy sanctions that rallied just fine. Bama got hit with some pretty heavy sanctions uh, from the Mike DeBose era, and they bounced back just fine. Why? Because they eventually led him to Nick Saban. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the reality of it, Ryan, is you know, Penn State got hit with some pretty heavy sanctions, and they're a pretty good football team again now. You know, And, and, and it would be even better if they had a better head coach, in my opinion. I mean, so – I, I think the problem in Miami is Miami's just made a string of bad hires and it's just not a, the football program just not supported by the school the way it should be. Sure. And the biggest example is the fact they won't even build them an on-campus stadium and you know, they have to drive almost 40 minutes to go play a home football game. You know, it's like a buddy of mine was, I was having this argument the, uh, the other day with a, a friend of mine, and I'm actually kind of get your thoughts on this. The, the, he was saying that he doesn't think Nebraska can ever be a, a, a top team again and and he used Pitt as an example. He's like, well, Pitt will never be what they were in the seventies and eighties. And I said, you know, I don't know if Nebraska can ever get to the point where they were as dominant as they were in the eighties, and that's true for other teams. But I actually think Nebraska, with the right coach, has a better chance to get there for a host of reasons. Where they're located, meaning they go to Texas, California. I said, but the other thing is support. Pitt will never be what they were in the seventies and eighties because a there's not the talent in the state that it used to have, but number two. The school doesn't care about the football team the way that Nebraska's school and fan base cares. They don't even have their home stadium. They tore down their on-campus stadium and they make them play at the steel. The fan base is apathetic. It's a it's a it's a it's a professional sports town that happened to go through a little bit of a about a ten to fifteen year period in the seventies and eighties with Tony Dorsett, Dan Marino, some other guys where they were really good at football. But it was more so because they had really good players and had a couple. You had, you know, Johnny Majors was a really good coach. It was never because it was a program committed to success the way the Nebraska is. Now, I don't think Nebraska can have the twenty-year stretch like they had under Tom Osborne. I think Nebraska can be pretty good again with the right coach. And yeah, I feel that way about Florida State. I don't think I don't think it will matter who Pitt's head coach is. I don't think Pitt's ever going to be a dominant program again like they were for that stretch because I don't think the school cares to be a dominant program again. And I don't think community really, I think Pittsburgh people would like for the Pitt football team to be good. Like they care as long as the Steelers are good, they don't care. So that's what I think that to me, the the biggest, the big difference is, 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 is between like those two programs, like Pitt and Nebraska. 
And I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I think there's a little bit of that to Florida State. I, I think I think Nebraska can get somewhat back. I mean, I I, I briefly remember like those '90s teams, like the '95 mm-hmm. team, right? Going back and list. Like, I don't think they'll ever get back to that point because I just think the power structure right. is different. But I do think that they, with the right coach intact and the, I mean, because they do have money behind them, they do have fan yeah. loyalty behind them, and you're going to be able to keep most most great Nebraska players in states. I mean, we saw that just in the 2024 cycle that. There's still a pool for Nebraska kids to stay in Nebraska. And if you're able to recruit well, I think that they can gain some momentum back. I do think they are maybe somewhat – there's somewhat of a ceiling as far as like just how high they can go. But I do Mm -hmm. think that they could get back in that regard. Florida State, I think – Florida State's still one of those teams that when they're good, they're cool. You know what I mean? Like I think Mm -hmm. they still have that. And I I think Miami could get back at some point too because Miami does have that flash to them where the U, you know, like they have that structure where it's like if they have the right coach in place – and they are in a, a little bit of a recruiting momentum. Like it is cool to be a part of the U. You know what I mean. So they have that lore. There are some schools that don't have that lore though. And I, I so I think that there's possibilities, but it's going to take the right coach in the right time and maybe a couple of programs down because yeah. there's coaching changes and a lot of miscellaneous things like that. Miami needs to get more support for the football team. That Miami's a, in a similar situation what Notre Dame was in the past, where the administration didn't really care as much about football as they need to. to Look, you can't be a consistently good football program if you're fighting against your administration. You just can't. And I think that's something that Miami struggled with for a long time. And, and so what that did is that opened up a vacuum. The school's not going to support us. These boosters will. Luther Campbell will. Nevin Shapiro, whatever that guy's name, will. And so you you that void's going to get filled somehow. When the expectation is that you're supposed to win, because the expectations are Miami to win, but we're just not going to do what we need to do to support you. And so I think I do think Miami can win again if they get the right support. I think Florida State can be good, but I that's a think. You know, and the reason I say the difference is Miami number one is is an even bigger hotbed of recruiting than Florida is. Florida State is because Florida State has to kind of travel to other parts of Florida to get top players. Where Miami, they call it the state of state of Miami. I mean, it's just Literally from like Orlando down, it's just, I mean, if we only recruited that region, we're going to have phenomenal football teams, right? Yes. And and so it, it just, it's will they support them or not? That's the question. And and we've seen Miami have success with multiple coaches, where with Florida State, they had that one year with Jimbo. But outside of that, Florida State, you know. I mean, they did have one coach you know. for like 30 years, though. That's so what I'm like, saying. It's a little bit that's, of a limited that's, sample That's size. the point, though, Ryan. It's like, it's. It's it's like Penn State. Well, we know they win titles under Paterno. We haven't seen anybody right. else win since then. But but Paterno left in like 2010. But that's the whole thing. Is like I, this school doesn't have the track record of winning with anybody else, and they haven't really won since. Is that because of circumstances that have happened to them, or was he a unique coach that wanted a place that you can't win otherwise? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 th- I tend th- to think th- they can. I think because Penn of State where they are with the right coach. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree Penn with Penn State. I think they so can, too. They can recruit. I they agree. can recruit at a very high level. So because yeah. because Philadelphia, Pennsylvania doesn't have the talent it used to have, but it still has a lot of talent. But the whole East, even though even though Pennsylvania is not what it was in the '80s from producing talent, you're starting to see the East Coast start to produce more. I mean, Penn State's made a killing in Virginia and Jersey, and they just got Josiah yep. Brown out of New York. I mean. 
there's enough of a, of a base there. And then they can go to Texas and get kids and Florida to get kids. I agree with you. I think Penn state can win, but again, that's another school that has great support. That's the difference. They'll spend money. Florida state hasn't had that. And that's the concern I have about Florida state. They're hoping to go through this lawsuit to get to the sec or the big 10 so they can get the money that way. Cause they don't have the support from the, the fan base or the, the donor class that other places do. Nebraska has that support. Pitt doesn't. And that's the, the UCLA was, to me is never going to be what they were under Terry Donahue as a football program. I don't think, I just don't think there's a support for it. They just, they don't care about that. They care about being good at basketball. I don't know why. I mean, you know, they, they're not willing to do both, but that's just the reality of it. And not every program can win in my opinion, even with the right coach. Michigan State was never going to win like LSU did with Nick Saban. Sure. Or Alabama did with Nick Saban. It's just it's a different animal. Corey Dean with the question. Thank you, Corey. Who decides who gets into the Hall of Fame and what is their criteria to get in? Well, I mean, I can't speak to what the individual criteria is. I mean, I think it's very general of like a great player should make the Hall of Fame, and that's just kind of my opinion, though. That they there's a panel of voters, and I think that it's like you know, longtime sports writers and people that there's a there is a committee though that put that puts forth the votes for players getting in, and you know, the percentage of votes equals to a player being able to be nominated in type of thing. I mean, it's similar to like the major league baseball and how pretty much every hall of fame does it. So we